0: Turning your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 23, and uh, let me uh, let me also um, say, happy Mother's Day to everyone here this morning. You know who you are if you are a mother. I, as always, I was in Kroger last night, and you know exactly what I saw in Kroger last night: a bunch of dads running around with kids with their game faces on and lots of cards and balloons. Every year, and there I was with everybody else. Happy Mother's Day. Every one of us has a mother. This is God's Word. Listen to your Father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it By wisdom, instruction, and understanding, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. This has been an especially meaningful and memorable Mother's Day for the Mercer family. As some of you know, we um, we recently had our uh, sixth yes, sixth grandson. Uh, we got married and started early. Our kids got married and started early, and we're still making babies. We know a lot about... Now, I don't, but I've seen a lot of motherhood uh, around me. But there's a uniqueness about Ian James Mercer, who was just recently born. He came too soon. He came five weeks too early. And so he's still in the hospital. Uh, Cindy went out there to Colorado Springs. She was there for two weeks, just got back last night. He's going to be fine. But he's still in the hospital and you know what he's learning to do in the hospital before he can come home? He's learning to eat and he's learning to breathe because he came about five weeks too early. He's getting stronger and stronger as the days go by, but he is learning the basics. How to breathe, how to eat. He'll come home in the next couple of weeks. Then what? After he learns how to eat and how to breathe, what do we want for him now? What is our first prayer priority for Ian James Mercer? What should we want from him As I mentioned in the prayer, we do live in a crazy upside-down, inside-out culture that seems to be getting more upside-down and inside-out by the day. He will grow up, most likely, in a world that will be hostile to his faith and to his parents' faith. But that's not unusual if you know anything about church history. Those who came before us are saying to us, welcome to the club. Um, a man that I read a, a good deal of, and I commend him you, his name is Alan Jacobs, recently said this, just last week, um, public discussions in America, recent public discussions in America often centered around morality and marriage in a biblical traditional sense. How do I do the right thing? How do I have a good marriage? Now, many of our public discussions in America are more often centered on identity and purpose. Who am I? What am I here for? What am I supposed to be doing? Well, this is one of those wonderful Rock passages in the Bible, as with every passage in the Bible, it's always true. It will never go out of style. We can count on it day after day after day. Who are we? What are we supposed to be doing? What do we want for ourselves and for our children? And in the time that we have this morning, I want to focus on several things. What's the goal? What's the goal? What should be our goal for ourselves, for our children? How do we get there, and what's the first step? What's the goal? How do we get there? What's the first step? And it's all here. Right here in this passage. Look, the goal of our lives. Look at verse 24. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Look, we can want a lot of things for our lives and for the lives of our children and for the lives of our grandchildren. We can want them to have a great education. We can want them to have health. We can want them to have a good marriage someday. We can want them to use their gifts, find their gifts, use their gifts. We can want them to have good marriages. But notice here what makes this father and this mother glad and greatly rejoice. Two things, righteousness and wisdom. You're not going to hear that many places outside of the church in our culture today. Righteousness and wisdom. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. This is where the rejoicing is. Now, righteousness, this is a a very Bible, Christian, church word you don't. Use it in your normal conversations typically. Here it is in the Bible. It has a range of meanings in the Bible. Here, here it means character. It means character and integrity at the core of your heart and who you are. God knows that, God sees that, but the emphasis here is character and integrity. As that great, profound theologian Winnie the Pooh once said, sometimes, many times, we let the smallest things take up the most room in our hearts. Children's stories usually get it. They get right to the heart of things. Sometimes we let the smallest things take up the biggest spaces in our heart. What takes up the biggest space in your heart? That's you. Is it character, integrity, growth in maturity? But secondly, it's wisdom. First, righteousness, character, integrity, my heart, who I am really. What takes up the most space in my heart? Wisdom is how I live, how a person actually lives. You know, Proverbs was originally written, many of us know and love the Proverbs. It was originally written as a manual to put into hands of mothers and fathers to work through and train their children and train themselves in the, the process. So to, please remember that sometimes we can pull a proverb, one proverb, sort of our favorite proverb, uh, proverbial statement, memorable statement that engages our memory and imagination. We can want to build our whole lives out, out of one proverb. Remember, originally work through it with your family and grow. Work through the whole thing with your family and grow. I remember one time years ago when we were younger and we were trying to figure out the Christian life, Cindy was at a hard stage. My wife, Cindy, was at a hard stage of her life. Of course, it's always hard living with me, probably. But she's at a hard stage in her life and she needs a word from God. God. So she says, Lord, give me a verse. Now, this really happened. You can ask her. Lord, give me a verse. I need a word from you. I'm going to open my Bible. I'm going to look for a word from you. She opened her Bible. There's the word. He was bald and he was clean. Not the best way to study your Bible. Leviticus 13 This was originally written, think of it that way, to work through, as families, training in wisdom. Well, what is wisdom? Wisdom is the link between what we know and what we do. Wisdom is the link between knowledge and action. Again, another word, like righteousness, that you don't hear a lot about in our culture. Wisdom. The Hebrew word literally means skill for living. Skill for living. And it's a wonderful picture. The picture in the Old Testament is of an apprentice learning from a master craftsman a trade. How to make something, how to do something well. That's the image in the Old Testament of someone training someone else in a craft. That's you, parents. That's you. That's a picture of the relationship between parents and children in this passage. Derek Kidner, a commentator on Proverbs, puts it this way. The Proverbs move in this realm, asking what a person is like to live with or employ. How does he manage his affairs, his time himself? Does he talk too much or too little Is he unbearable in the early morning or late at night? It talks about the friend who drops by too little or too much and the aimless man who makes poor decisions. This is not a a book of manners. It's a key to life. It's always asking, is this wise or is this folly? Is this wise or is this... Folly, righteousness, wisdom. That's our goal. That's the goal we want for those around us. That's the goal we want for our children, for our young people, along with many other good things, but righteousness and wisdom. How do we get there? How do we get there? Family family. Um, Mary Eberstadt, a few years ago, wrote a book, and and again, a lot of people haven't thought about it this way, but it was called, How the West Really Lost God. And she says the West really lost God. What's really happened in our culture is what she calls the family factor. And then she puts it this way. It's a wonderful image. Faith and family are the invisible double helix of society. They go together and they have to. Two spirals that when linked with one another effectively produce and bring strength and momentum to each other. Faith and family need each other. If you're confused about the faith, you're not going to understand family. If you're confused about family, you're not going to understand faith. Look at the world around us. You have to have family. You have to have faith wound together. Show me a society that's lost its way and I'll show you a society that is confused about the meaning of family. Confused about the meaning and purpose and goal and design of family. A society that destroys the family, destroys itself. Faith and family need each other. By Truth, do not sell it by wisdom, instruction, understanding. First, and obviously, a family of a mother and a father and parents, grandparents, children. How many times have we prayed as, as parents or even as, as young people, Oh Lord, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. And he's saying here that it's the father and the mother that in their words and actions are constantly living and pursuing righteousness and wisdom that gets to the heart of what we are all about here as human beings. Truth, wisdom, instruction, understanding, character, integrity, skill for living. This is what should make us rejoice and full of joy. But we live in a broken, fallen, sinful world and we mess up time and time again and many of us, maybe half of us, maybe more than half of us come from broken families. Families where so many things went wrong. We, we ourselves fall into self-pity and bitterness and harshness and control. Um, C.S. Lewis once wrote about a a, a family and the brothers and the sisters trying to get along with one another. And one of the sisters was extremely manipulative, selfish, full of self-pity, full of manipulation. And uh, this is all a fictional story, by the way. And then she she uh, passes away. She dies and her brothers come up with an epitaph for her. Erected by her sorrowing brothers in memory of Martha Clay, here is one who lived for others. Now she is at peace, and so are they. We all fall on both sides of that. It's not just the other person, or the brother, or the sister, or the mother, or father. Take the finger, point it at your own heart. You see here what makes the mom and the dad happy, what their priorities are in the, the biological family. But we need, we desperately need another family, don't we? We need other Christians. We need the church. We need God's family. Um As I look out, Cindy and I have been here right at five years now, and we look out, and I can look out now and and see folks that I've spent a good deal of time with and folks that I know spend time with others in the midst of sorrow and and brokenness and pain, in the midst of difficult family circumstances and situations. Let me give you a couple of examples that, that we recently experienced. Some of you know about this. Uh, I don't think I've talked about this in a service before, but here goes. Last year, in September, we had another child come too early. And he didn't make it. And the outpouring of love, care, concern, prayers from you, here's my opportunity, thank you, means the world to us. He, This was not a miscarriage. He just came too early. I won't go into all the details. There he was. We were there. He didn't make it. We had a graveside service for him. But I want to tell you a couple of experiences that we had, specific experiences with other Christians. There's a ministry that takes place in this town that we didn't know about. And it's a ministry to mothers. And it's led by a local church, and it's called the Memory Box Ministry. And mothers who lose babies in hospitals, they come in, and they give them this, this box covered with, this beautiful box covered with cloth. And inside the box is a cap and a gown and a card, signed card, and imprints of his feet. We will cherish that forever. My daughter will cherish that forever. One of our six grandsons is in heaven. But we've got this memory box while we're here. Another example, um, when Hannah was about to, to deliver, there was a nurse there that She was not in labor and delivery. She was in another section of the hospital. There was a nurse on the weekend putting in some extra hours, so she was working in this section of the hospital. And Hannah begins to go into labor, won't go into all the details. You don't want all the details, but she starts to go into labor. And this nurse grabs her two hands and says, you know what's going to happen, he's not going to make it. Can I pray for you? And sure enough, he went straight to heaven. But months later, that nurse remembered the delivery date. I'm going to get through this. Months later, the the nurse remembered the delivery date and sent my daughter flowers on the day that she was supposed to deliver Caleb. Caleb. That's ministry. That's family. That's extended family. That's church family. That's other Christians ministering to Christians in the midst of their family situation. That's just our story. You have yours. We are made to need family. We are made to need each other. We're made to desire and to pray for righteousness, character, integrity, wisdom, skill for living. Finally, that's the goal, that's the way to get there. What's the very first step? Well, the very first step is in the very first chapter of this wisdom book for families. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Of course, Proverbs 9.10 says The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. What in the world is fear of the Lord? If that, That's the very first step. That's the first step for families. That's the first step for adults, parents, children. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. What's that? What's the fear of the Lord? Now, if you look up fear of the Lord, I'm sure many of you had. I was talking to a a professor the other day, and he said, well, there's about uh, 300 definitions of of fear of the Lord. Uh, We can look up fear of the Lord, and when we look up fear of the Lord, we see wonder, reverence, awe, worship, obedience, submission, uh, one, one commentator calls it affectionate reverence, and we could go on and on and on. One of the reasons why it's so hard to get asked that, this, this phrase, it just doesn't lend itself to a soundbite. Because it involves all of these things, and it involves what we know and what we feel and what we do. It's very comprehensive. Let me try. I'm going to go back to a children's story. If you've not, if you don't know Aslan and you don't know *The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe*, you need to make it up, put it at the top of your list this year. If you want to know what fear of the Lord is, read *The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe*. There it is. Watch how the children interact with this great lion. When Aslan, the lion, the figure of Christ, first shows up on the scene, and the are finding out that he's in the neighborhood that he's on the move that he's coming what happens they look at the world around them and they see what we see out the window today they see spring the ice begins to melt the snow begins to melt the birds begin to sing the trees grow the birds sing. Signs of new life are everywhere. And the children ask Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, who is this? Who is this? You remember the question? Is he safe? No. He is not tame. He is not safe, but He's good. He's the King, I tell you. He is not safe. He is not tame. He will not be controlled or defined by me or you or anyone else, but He's good, and He's kind, and He's the Lord. He's the King. I tell you. And then Mr. Beaver puts it this way. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we will have spring again. That's it. That's the fear Of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. If you think for a moment about somebody in the Bible who had a bad, difficult, painful, broken family situation, I don't know who comes to mind for you, but for me, it's the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. You remember Jesus is taking a shortcut. He is a Jewish man. He shouldn't be talking according to the culture. He shouldn't be talking to a Samaritan woman, but he does. He goes over to the well where the Samaritan woman is. And he asks the Samaritan woman for a drink in John chapter 4. And her immediate thought is, here's a Jewish man. He's come to the well. I'm here at the well. Why is he talking to me? Who is this? This is not what I expect. And Jesus looks at her. And remember, this is a a woman who has been married five times. This is a woman who is living with a man who is not her husband. This is a Samaritan. This is sort of a half-breed pagan that Jews have nothing to do with. It's hard to believe that along the way there wouldn't have been children involved. And Jesus looks at her. You remember in John chapter 4, Jesus looks at her and says, If you only knew, if you only knew all that you're looking for in all the wrong places can only be found and fulfilled in me. Jesus says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is. That is saying to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water flowing up to eternal life. I would guess that that nobody, we we come from some crazy backgrounds, and some crazy, I come from a crazy background in a broken family. But nobody's situation is crazier than hers. And he looks at her and knows everything about her. You remember, she runs back to town and she tells everybody in the village, he knows everything I've done and he offered me eternal life. He told me everything I've ever done and he'd offered me redemption, forgiveness, unconditional love and eternal life. And maybe you remember their response. Many Samaritans from that town believed because of the woman's testimony. In fact, they went and tried to find and did find Jesus. And at the end of the chapter, so at the end of the chapter, 440, chapter 4, verse 40, and when the Samaritans came to him, They asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves and we know indeed that this is the Savior of the world. And we know indeed Indeed, that this is the Savior of the world. Ultimately, Jesus Christ is our wisdom. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. And it doesn't matter, even as we pursue the goals of character integrity, skillful living. It doesn't matter where you have been in the past, how broken you are, what you've been through, how difficult your circumstance or situation has been. He offers you eternal life. And He paid for it on the cross. And He conquered your greatest enemies, sin and death. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. The goal is righteousness and wisdom. The way is family, our immediate family, our church family the family of God, and the first step is fear the Lord, loving Jesus, responding to his love. We love because he first loved us, recognizing that wisdom and righteousness ultimately is only found in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for our mothers. We thank you for our fathers, yet we recognize that in the midst of family there is much brokenness. In the midst of church there is much brokenness. Well, Lord, we pray that we would have seared in our our heads and our hearts the offer of Jesus to the woman at the well. He told me everything I've ever done and he offered me eternal life. He told me everything I've ever done and He offered to forgive me. He told me everything I've ever done and you can have it too. And indeed they do. They respond, they run after Jesus and they recognize Jesus as the Savior of the world. What a friend for sinners who will never leave us Or never forsake us. And so, we fix our heads and our hearts, our deepest passions, desires, affections, and our eyes on Jesus Christ. And we pray all of these things in his name.